Welcome to the State of Everything Extra Tim. I'm Paul Rodriguez of thinktrading.com, joined by Tim Price of pricevaluepartners.com. Tim, we've got a question from a listener. Let's go straight into this. Um, if there's anyone out there that has asked a question that we haven't answered, please do let us know because I found this in a Twitter message uh, accidentally. So sometimes they slip through the cracks. So please don't think we'd ever ignore you. Um, just give us a nudge. And this is actually about nudging people and the effect of nudging people. It's from at James Mac one And he says, if you're doing another extra Tim, which we are, of course, I'd like to ask you both what your thoughts are on behavioural science and nudge theory. Do you agree that we've nudged the population into thinking we have bubonic plague outside, so don't go out or mask up? Either way, do you agree once you've nudged someone into fear, you can't easily nudge them out of it with crude VAT cut gestures? So finally, should we even nudge people into fear from an ethical point of view? And what does this say about nudge theory? and its modern applications through the state? These are all fabulous questions. Um, in short, I, yes, I completely agree with the um, the author of that comment. Um, a piece I just put out for South Bank Research, which is subscription rather than free service, uh, is all about propaganda. Uh, and there is an excellent book that I'd recommend to anybody by a guy called Tim Wu called The Attention Merchants. And The Attention Merchants is basically a history of advertising and propaganda going back to snake oil salesmen and all the way up to social media. So it's absolutely pertinent point. And yes, I think basically the behavioral, whatever it's called, behavioral science unit, which has now been privatized, but but the so-called nudge unit has succeeded too well because they've they've clearly tried to maybe not terrify people, but the, the outcome is they've, they've they in combination with you know traditional and pockets of social media have ended up, you know, basically causing half the people in the country to hide behind their sofas. Um, and it's so the genie is out of the bottle and good luck getting it back. Um, and I, I, in the piece for South Bank, I, I, I trace this back to the First World War. So the figures are kind of astonishing, but I'll, I'll put Paul on the spot now. So I'll ask you, Paul. <laughs> um, it, just before England declared war on Germany in 1914, um, the German Imperial Army numbered four and a half million people, more four and a half million men at arms. What was the size of the British Army at the same time? Wow, that's a good question. Four and a half million sounds like yeah, four quite, and a half million for the Germans. That sounds quite a lot. Um, I would say probably something. Uh, although we were a greater power back then, so we're probably used to. Um, conquering so we may have had a bigger army but more scattered no that that's that's a tricky one but i in, intuitively i'm going to go with a lower number probably probably because we weren't prepared for it say a million eighty thousand. so according according to the, the this the, i think this is tim Wu again as a source um but i may, I may be wrong in which case i, I need to i need I, I need to sort of give credit to, to another uh, writer at the time that we declared war on germany we had uh, uh, because we didn't have conscription at the time, uh-huh. we had a professional army of 80,000 people. And uh, Bismarck had joked, he was dead by then, but he'd previously said that the British army was so small that it could be arrested by the German police force. <laughs> so um, in other words, we, we took on far more than we could chew. However, the upshot of that was that we then needed to raise um, conscripts in a hurry. 
And the outcome of that was those posters that you've seen, you'll have seen a copy of with Kitchener uh, brought in to say, your king and country need you. Mm. So if you remember that campaign. And basically, there is a point to this long diatribe. So the issue, issue being the British propaganda effort during World War One was so successful that it was then replicated and enhanced by Hitler in World War Two. So in other words, you know, we sowed the wind and we then reaped the whirlwind. So Germany probably succeeded beyond its own wildest imaginings, even though they ended up losing the war, because their propaganda effort ended up being more powerful in the Second World Wars than our had in the Second World War than ours had been in the first. How did they? How did that happen then? Surely, if we thought of it, we should we should have been more successful. Yeah, but the history is littered with examples of things that the British have, have initiated well and then just been been you know it's like yes. television. Television is a British invention, but. You know, yes. how many British TV manufacturers are there? There's none. So there's there's plenty of examples of things where we've 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 invented something and then but it's then been just taken up because we lack that kind of killer commercial instinct that perhaps the Americans, um, you know, uh, exhibit so well. So Clive Either Sinclair way, would definitely agree with that. Well, quite possibly, and I, I'm a big fan of sort of you know Clive's early products in the back in the seventies and eighties. He invented so the pocket calculator. He did. He did, and he invented. I think he was one of the first to to to. to Bring out a uh, an affordable digital watch. So there's all the all these all these examples and but... and an early Tesla. Indeed, yes, the C five, C five. So anyway, so that that that's the the, the point to go back yes. to the original question. The nudge unit, if if we give them credit for this campaign, has succeeded. It's like the law of unintended consequences. Succeeded too well. Um, so now Boris and and Matt. Uh, Hancock have got the the you know insuperable problem of getting people back to work. On that point, I would also suggest that that there's, there's a bit of politics going on here, particularly in the public sector, because there is something akin to an unofficial general strike going on. So good luck trying to get a GP's appointment. Good luck trying to get a doctor's appointment. We know the fuss that teachers made, you know, getting kids back to school, where teachers had to be dragged screaming back to the classrooms. So there are huge sways of the state. But it turns out if you pay them to sit on their behinds doing nothing, aren't that keen on going back to work? So it'll be interesting to see what effect the as the furlough scheme slowly, slowly ebbs away, if it, if it does, if it's allowed to, just what the impact is going to be on our unemployment rate. But I think it's going to be grim. I think there's two points to follow on from that. The first one is the VAT cap measures. And for people outside of the UK, we had something in the August month, obviously it's very quiet or should be very quiet because people go away normally. So they tried to help the restaurants by a scheme which was eat out to help out, which basically meant you could go to a restaurant and get 50% off your bill up to £10 a person, including children. So that was that was used quite quite extensively. And you could, but, there was a way, not that I used it, but there was a way of finessing even that. So if you paid for each course separately, you could end up, end up getting about 200 quid worth of... Uh, oh, I didn't thought, I hadn't thought of that, Tim. <laughs> Just if anyone's listening. I, Game, I'm not gaming sure the system not, then. <laughs> I'm not sure if that loophole is still available. Well, so. it does, it, it's not anymore, but I, I was on the subject of nudging people and the whole idea of it in the first place. The idea was to get people to go out and eat in restaurants. Mm. Well, if we've got a pandemic on our hands, you don't want people queuing up outside restaurants and then eating in bloody restaurants. Why can't you have it for takeaways, which you weren't this, allowed to this, do? This, this is the absurdity. So I, I noticed, for example, 
um, there was a letter that I, this is via Merrin Somerset Web of Money Week, but I noticed there was a letter uh, earlier on that she she tweeted. One of the reasons I'm disgusted at the behaviour of so much social media, and not the people who are making posts and tweets, but the the, the companies themselves, particularly YouTube, is that they've you know just as government advice has been capricious and arbitrary, so social media groups have been capricious and arbitrary in what they pull. Uh, in the cause of, let's say, you know, fake news. So you may have seen um, a presentation by two California emergency room doctors yes. several months back. Yes. When they were, and the, the, this is answering your question, by the way, because it was basically what, the one thing that I got from that experience. And I think they reached five million hits on YouTube before they were arbitrarily pulled for reasons that I don't think YouTube could plausibly explain. Uh, was what one thing that they drilled home was. The thing about coronavirus, lots of cases, very few deaths. Lots of So I'll just repeat that in case it's not already blindingly obvious. Lots of reported cases, but very few deaths. Well, the, the cases are being reported in so, the UK. So the cases, go, are, the cases report, are going up. Going up because the testing's going up. Because the testing's going up. And so... so the, the, but the point is the media's now shifted the goalpost. So originally it was the fatality rate, which is a, a big deal because the number of people dying yes. in a pandemic is a big deal. But the case rate is, is virtually, virtually meaningless. So, so notice that they don't, they don't report the fatalities. They're now reporting cases, which is clearly not the same thing. Um, anyway, so the, the, the quite, and again, it touches on these, these absurd rules that they're just plucking out of thin air now. This is a, a, a letter to the FT that was published today that Merrin tweeted. Um, if I understand the UK's government rule of six correctly, it is illegal for seven children to feed ducks, but legal for 30 men to shoot ducks. So there is an exemption, yes. for example, for grouse hunting. And well, I'm sorry. This, this is just ridiculous. And if you wanted to make this country look even more of a laughing stock than it already is, this is exactly how you go about it. And now we're hearing that you know Chris Whitty wants to, wants to introduce another lockdown. There is, to my, to my knowledge, and I'm happy to be proven incorrect, by, by someone with a proper science qualification, there is no um, clinical evidence to support lockdown. There never was, and there probably never will be. And so what we're now experiencing at a, at a national level is the cost of the sunk costs fallacy. So much, so much goodwill, blood, and treasure has already been expended on this farcical lockdown that now looks like it's, we're going to get a second iteration of before before Christmas. Of course, Christmas is also going to be cancelled. So much has been spent that the government cannot dare to actually say, you know what, we got it wrong. But couldn't couldn't they just sort of reverse out of it by just not imposing any more lockdown? Measures? I just think, I, well, I think one thing that we've, we've seen through this as well is that anybody with any vague, vague sniff of authority or power once they're granted extra powers isn't doesn't want to relinquish them in a hurry but they will be perfectly happy to exploit them so you might remember that you know a farcical police footage of sort of drone drone footage of walkers in some some place extremely remote saying this 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 social activity is not justified it's not you know it's not valid and you're just thinking you know, these are people walking in the middle of nowhere just just plod has basically had a shocker yeah, and plots now being you know boosted by all these you know COVID marshals, so called, and uh, even even the police have said, look, you know, we're not going to take this stuff seriously. They think they've been called what uh, COVID wombles. Going outside, getting some fresh air, getting some sunshine, and going for a walk is is extremely important. I think when people stay at home, it's uh, it, inevitably you just end up sort of 
putting on weight and and that's bad for you, you know, and, and so there's or you no end up, Or you end up drinking too much or, or you end or, up killing yourself. So I, I was speaking to Simon Rose of, of Share Radio yesterday and he, he told me or suggested to me more people are now dying of suicide than are dying of coronavirus in the UK. Really? That's really sad. That well, is... it's, it's, it's also avoidable. And this is why I come back to this whole, you know, the sunk cost fallacy, which is which is going to end up costing us hundreds of billion, literally these kind of eye-watering amounts. The only thing in mitigation, I'd say, is, and this is a, a, a cracking quote that I came across, you know, over the last week, life becomes easier when you learn to accept an apology you never got. Well, we're never going to get that apology, so I guess we should just all learn to accept it. Yeah, yeah. So um, it reminds me also a little bit of the way that after the financial crisis, the banks were simultaneously told to lend more but cut back on their risk. Yeah, exactly. They were given mutually contradictory uh, objectives. And the banks... Get your balance sheet in order, but for God's sake, keep lending. Well, yes, you exactly. The other, but you can't do both. Yeah, you can't do both. And um, I don't know if you've looked at the banking stocks recently, but I know we've mentioned it a few times on the podcast, but very worrying very, very mm. worrying setups. You know, NatWest stock is uh, trading at a 100p, a really important support point, but that's right on its low. And the banking index, 350 banking index, is, is in a downward, strong downward trend. And the we've mentioned it a few times, the pillars of the stock market rally, the tech stocks. Actually, you, you asked me the question, Tim, whether what we'd look out for to suggest that the market had topped. And within a few days, that signal came out. It was incredible. Mm. And, and so it looks like we've, we've hit a top. Whether it's the top will remain to be seen, but it's definitely a significant short-term top. And it's got the potential to go much further, especially with the September months. You've got to be really careful. A lot of crashes happened in September and October. I, mean, I think I, I, I was thinking about this the other day, and it's, it, I mean, it's a narrative, so it may or may not have any validity whatsoever, but it, it strikes me that one, one reason why markets tend to trade off, if they do trade off in the sort of September, October period, is because I think people's mood, moods change in the Northern Hemisphere um, when autumn arrives. Yeah. You know, the weather gets cooler, the weather gets, the weather gets shittier, and people get, you know, people are going back to work off you know, in a normal year, going back to work after being on holiday, and the mood just chills. It just, it just cools. It cools to a way, and it, it can probably also tie it to the the harvest and the harvest cycle. But basically, I think the national or the international mood of investors changes when summer um, turns to autumn, and people just get a bit more introspective and a bit more melancholic. That could well be. It could well be. I think on these occasions, it could be that the stimulus packages that the government's been putting through are also expiring. Ex yeah, I mean, it's like having a, a hot air balloon with a massive hole in it and you're blowing loads of air through and the first lot hasn't really raised the balloon that much um, and you're looking at how you're going to, what you're going to do next, like blow more air through it. It's, it's, it's difficult, it's difficult. And if, if they delay then things can turn down very quickly. But remains to be seen. I noticed in your weekly you were talking about tulips, Tim. Yes, yeah, so this is actually a blast from the past. So I've sort of subtly adapted an older, an older commentary, but we're giving it a good, <laughs> a, modern, a modern, refreshing, you know, uh, tweak. Um, but yeah, I mean, I if, if we take just one of the of the of the, the US techs, uh, and it's it's Tesla. I, my re I welcome yours. My reading of the chart is that Tesla is now a busted flush. 
I think the bubbles burst with Tesla. Yeah. But I, I don't know what what you would need from a, a technical perspective to to give proof of that. But as far as I'm concerned, that 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 goose is cooked. Yeah, the chart. Let me just get it up and uh, get the most up to date. The thing is, along the way, we've had but, but, but credit where credit's due. Stephen Wilkinson, who we've had on um, once or twice already, and I hope hope we'll have him back again soon, made a very a very telling point when he said to me the other day, "Never short a cult." Yeah, yeah, that, hmm, I and I never say never say never in in the markets. I mean, it's a uh, which is why I would take my lead from the technical. Yes, you know, well, like, uh, in other words, wait until the market's already confirmed that it's it's exactly. on the way out before you plunge in. Exactly, and what, and, what, and, and go short. What what you have in a major reversal is a uh, what I was looking for was a, an increase in volatility, and by that I mean not options volatility. I mean price swings volatility. And if you look at the chart of Tesla, it's traded a massive range within the past, uh, you know, month. You've you've got the volatility that that's normally the indication of a reversal. And sentiment is is I don't see how it could be any more positive on the stock, which is dangerous. So I think. You, you've got all the makings of a of a massive reversal, but mm. we, we we haven't got the final the final trigger is 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 when the market goes into a downward trend and you see key support breaking around three hundred um, around three hundred is the is the big level. Mm. So it's still got a long way to go to break that, but that's because it's been in such a massive range. So the range parameters are just if whether you're bullish or bearish and entering the market now you've got to you've got to you've got to be prepared for such big swings mm. um in both directions it becomes i think untradeable unless you know how to trade options yeah um so if you're bullish or you use extraordinarily wide stops oh yeah but then you then you're you, then you've got to take a much smaller position mm. um for your risk management, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So, but the question was, do, have as have we topped out? Well, there are more and more signs indicating that that it has, and so I would be I would be very cautious. And not only are these tech stocks starting to roll over, the the broader you know the broader markets are not looking great. And I still... Well, you've, you've you've already highlighted the banks, and I and I presume that the European banks are in no better shape than, than no. some of the UK ones. No, they're really not. And some of the bellwether, you know, markets that you would expect to do well because of their international kind of um, you know diversity, like HSBC, not doing well either. So that that's a concern. That is a that is a concern it, to the point where I was wondering. Could they bail the banks out again? Well, I mean, you know, my colleague Killian and I discuss this on a, an ongoing basis, and, our, and mm. our conclusion to date has been that well, we know what the playbook is now. You know, if if the banks get into trouble again, they'll just print. They'll just print. You know, and in the words, I think it's Albert Edwards said this back during the or shortly after the you know, the GFC, the global financial crisis. He said that uh, when then with the next iteration of sort of like hyperpowered QE. You will hear the roar of the printing presses from Mars. Well, I think you know the roar of the printing presses can already be heard echoing around our solar system. So it probably has already got to Mars by now. What you've got in the gold and silver markets right now is um, a, co a compression of price. So it's the ranges are getting smaller and smaller. Co coiling, I think some people have described it as. Yes, you could call it that. And 
it, it still remains to be seen whether if the market when the markets go if and when the markets go down whether the first reaction is to sell things that have done well to pay for margin calls etc so you could see a lurch lower in gold and silver um but the the price patterns at the moment are pointing to uh, are normally indicative of a market the markets that would continue upwards so the breakout should be to the upside so it, they look still look relatively positive um but we we just need to get confirmation it's like the the market is is like undecided at these levels um but when we get the next big trend it will be a big trend it won't it won't be the order of like t- 10 or 20 dollars it'll be much more than that the reason I'd be more concerned now than 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 before, uh, and I've obviously been waiting for the sky to fall in for the last ten years, but then that doesn't take full account of QE and now ZERP and NERP and all the other nonsense that's, that's battering the markets on a daily basis, um, including what looks like you know sort of soft attempts to introduce universal basic income around the world, um, is that the Fed has really boxed itself into a bit of a corner now by basically abandoning its its inflation target. So if there were ever a time, you know, we talked earlier about, you know, not being unable to put genies back in bottles. Well, the Fed has just, uh, uh, you know, opened the uh, the biggest genie of all. And and if inflation does start to get out of control, there's no putting that back in either. Was was that a, what was the communique? I didn't see that. Oh, no, this is this is this is public public knowledge. Oh it's, yeah, yeah. It's been public knowledge for a while, and oh, okay. uh, Jerome Powell at the Fed has confirmed this. They've basically abandoned their. So the Fed has a dual mandate. The U.S. Federal Reserve has a mandate to try and secure what it calls price stability, which everyone interprets to be basically 2% inflation, uh, calculated by the government, so it's clearly nonsense anyway. Um, But basically a 2% inflation target and also full employment. And I humbly submit that it's going to miss both of those over the the medium term by a country mile. Mm. So. So they're going to keep interest rates ultra low until you know for, for several years yet. This is the perfect environment for the likes of the, the precious metals because they've they've been sort of out in the wilderness for a while now. But you know, this it's like my my contention would be that they both that, that there's a fundamental tailwind behind them, and now the price action would tend to suggest that there's a there's a technical tailwind behind them as well. So you know, you do not want to be short these things. Are you? looking at your portfolio and tweaking it or is everything sort of still set for you not yet but we we certainly again Kelly and I've discussed rotating out of some of the 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 precious metals uh equities that we own oh, in really? favor of broader commodities so or ah. we, we, we'll we'll retain some because there's still some fantastic values in sort of small mid cap particularly australian miners basically the, the 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 objective for us has never really changed which is you know we only want to buy companies listed companies that are superbly cash flow positive anyway so they they're generating humongous amounts of cash as a matter of course but also that have little or no associated debt so the reason why for example japan has been such a standout uh, such a highlight cheap and value market for some time is that it basically, you compare and contrast Japan to the States. So Japan coming into this you know, coronavirus, or I should say government response to coronavirus crisis, basically Japanese companies have been dealing with domestic deflation for something like 20 years. So their balance sheets are pretty much bulletproof. You compare that to American companies where basically they've never been more highly levered. Their balance sheets are shot. And they're about to be they're, they're just sailing into the biggest the storm of the century 
Mm. I know which market I'd rather own because it's all for us. It's all about margin of safety. So you've got all these curious, you know, uh, opportunities, you know, stroke risks. And we're simply treating the, you know, the precious metals miners the same way we would any other company, which is they have to be cash flow positive. They have to be trading on cheap multiples and they have to be accompanied by little or no debt. It, debt is going to be the killer for companies, you know, coming out of this. But the ones so, you, you run. Oh, sorry. No, no, that's it. I was just going to say the ones that you're rotating out of, is it because they are it, it is, no longer is, looking if, cheap? We haven't or? started yet, but if, if okay. we are rotating out, it'll be, it won't be because they're necessarily grossly expensive. It'll simply be because we can find even cheaper in, let's say, iron ore or lead or zinc or copper or whatever it is. Oh, I see. Okay. And another reason why we haven't done this to, to any degree yet is because, you know, I don't know about you, but I look at the world and it doesn't feel like a growth environment. Having said that, I think I think you'll find that the commodity, the broader commodities, you know, sector has has, has actually uh, technically has, has been looking quite strong for a while. So they're 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 already pricing in some form of recovery, albeit you know some 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 way further down the line. Yes, I, and I think there will be. It's just that we need we need the shakeout. We need the big shakeout before this new trend can can um, you know develop. But thinking back to the nudge question, it reminds me of the, our podcast with Rory Sutherland. It'd be great to have him back on the show. Oh yeah, we'll have to we'll have to get him back. And and thinking about. You know, I always thought nudging was was a great idea, and until I heard the, the sort of counterfactual, which is that you are taking control in some ways of people's, uh, or in some ways forcing them down a line which they think they're taking themselves, but they're not. And there's a fine line between, I guess, advertising, which is a job and a skill and and something I, I kind of admire uh, to change people's sort of, a, or sell a product, basically, and just wording a survey or a form in a way that forces you to do something in a certain way. But I also think that people are smart enough to see past that. Yeah, I think you're right. This, this, this. I mean, I've been reading quite a bit about propaganda for various reasons over the last few weeks. There's a book by Jacques Ellul called Propaganda, and he makes the point that effectively you, you can't use propaganda to sell bad products because propaganda only works, and it's obviously a loaded term, but it only works if you're basically pushing at an open door. Mm. You can't, in other words, you can't, people are, are not stupid, or, or most people are not that stupid. You cannot use propaganda to sell, you know, to sell a lemon, basically. So it's like a, like a bad film where they spend a lot of money trying to sell Oh, it's it. a wa complete, waste, complete waste of time. It, yeah. Basically, if, you, if you've got a shitty product, it's going to end up a shitty product. And I think if Rory Sutherland were here uh, on the call today, then he would, I think, confer, confirm that advertising is a great way to kill, to kill off a bad product entirely because good advertising will reveal just how bad a shitty product is and then it goes out of, and that company goes out of business. Yeah, and it's it'd be interesting in the post-mortem where the people blame the advertising, say, oh, well, it was the advertising campaign that was, that was wrong or, or what have you. But, I, but yeah. I, I give them credit for, for, the, for the early iteration of, you know, stay at home, whatever it was, save the NHS, albeit that now looks like, you know, there's a complete waste of time. So we now have an NHS that's entirely dedicated to non-existent coronavirus deaths and nothing else. Um, but nevertheless, you, you have to say that because you know they've they managed to scare at least half the country into hiding under the sofa, that you know they're kind of mission, you know, uh, mission accomplished. But the the latest iteration, this whole hands face space, I just find so utterly moronic. 
it's like you know head shoulders knees and toes knees and toes it's like <laughs> we're being we're being treated uh, like morons and i think pe- I, I i would not be surprised if there is just increasing pushback against this insanity as a growing number of people wake up and 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 come to the realization you know what we're being played for fools here i think the confusion has it definitely hasn't helped and i think day to day life going out in the shops and and restaurants or wherever you see that that people just act. They revert to acting normally. They can't help but being. But being I think close we've, to had enough, but we've had enough. We've had basically six months of of of, of house arrest. And I think most people are just fed up to the back teeth of it. Particularly given that there's, let's say, been somewhat uh, inconsistent behaviour on the part of leading politicians mm. on on both sides of the uh, on both sides of the political debate. Yes, there's, there's another thing I would give give credit for in passing. If you haven't already seen it, and apologies if you haven't, I've mentioned it. Um, there's a, a, a documentary I was watching last night on Netflix called The Social Dilemma. Oh, I was going to mention that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I pipped you to the post as always. But but I mean, I was listening to uh, a podcast interview with uh, Yuval Noah Harari yesterday, and he came up with a uh, what I thought was extremely uh, interesting observation or suggestion, which is. That there's been no rise in nationalism in the Western um, in in Western countries like the UK and the US, and, I, and obviously I can speak with better experience of the UK because it's where I live. Uh, in, if anything, he says that it's the nationalism is actually disintegrating. What's happening is that instead of basically Brits being more nationalistic towards foreigners, half of Britain is just half of Britain can't stand the other half of Britain. So that's we're now re- replaying effectively the the Brexit culture war. Uh, so ba- basically, the Brexit culture war has now been replaced by the mask culture war. Yeah, and I I feel strong strongly. I, I would almost suggest that anyone caught wearing a mask should should have, should be unable to vote in future elections. <laughs> now, clearly, as a libertarian, that that's a that's a contradiction in terms. But I you know I am I am sick to death of. People thinking that a face nappy is going to save them from a, a killer virus that's so deadly it can be basically destroyed by soap and water. Yeah, um, I don't know enough about the science, but it's 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 something. Yeah, but it's, I think unfortunately neither does anybody else in government exactly. or, or the Sage Committee. So I think what you get from the social dilemma is that it's very difficult to get the facts. It's really so much harder than it than it should be, and the hypernormalization of of information that people are getting is a strategy by the social networks in order to keep you engaged and also to keep you outraged. Mm. So it's it's something that is is far more insidious than you than you might think. You know, you might think they're just sending you, you know, clips about something you might have an interest in, you know, gardening or whatever and loads of videos. Yeah. And then but then they slip in stuff to to make you outraged so that you you keep the debate going because it's all about eyeballs and the more people that are on those platforms, the more advertising they can sell. It's a kind I mean, of a have, simple I have, model. I have an issue with some of the sort of doer smugness of some of these, you know, ex-Silicon Valley multimillionaires who are finally realizing that maybe they spent 10 years, you know, uh, it's like, you know, that, 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 that famous sketch from, you know, the one I mean with David Mitchell, Mitchell and Webb, where he's, you know, he's got like an SS uniform and he suddenly says, could it be that we're the baddies? You know, <laughs> I've not like, seen well, it. You've, but that's you've so spent you spent like ten years working for Facebook. You know, head of head of monetization strategy. Could it be that we're actually the evil evil bastards? Yeah. Well, actually, maybe it could. So, the, so some of the tone of this this thing I, I have a, a difficulty with. But in essence, if if people haven't seen it 
And if they are consumers of anything relating to the web, which includes Google, but it certainly includes things like Facebook and Twitter, and I don't use Facebook, but I use Twitter, then you have to you have to see this. But it'll just give you pause for thought. It'll make you appreciate if you hadn't already twigged that, you know, as, as the saying goes, you know, if you're not paying for a service, then you are the product. Yes. I thought it was one really telling quote from it was, when you get up in the morning, do you look at your phone before you have a pee or while you're having well, during, a pee? During, during, during yeah. the peeing, yeah. <laughs> exactly. It's like, not after, it's always before. Tim, we need to talk about Brexit, but we're out of time. So we're going to have to schedule that for the next extra Tim. But in the meantime, thank you so much for your thoughts. And Pleasure. Thank you for your questions. Please do send them through to at Tim F. Price or S-O-T-M-P-C on Twitter. And until next time, can we say say safe? Are we allowed to say that? Uh, go grass murdering. <laughs> Happy grass murdering, everybody. <laughs> Until next time, thanks for listening. Bye now. Bye-bye. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Please do your own research or contact a professional advisor.